0: On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marbus interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative
1: and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and I would like to welcome back Leonard Perlmutter. How are you today?
0: I am well. Thank you for the invitation. It's good to see you.
1: It's good to see you again, too. And you've written a new book. This is, I believe, it's your second book, correct? Correct. Yep. Um, it's called Your Conscience. You can see it there in the back as well here. It's a really fascinating read. And I, but I really want to dive in with it with you because you were the expert who wrote it for let's, let's start with why would you write a book called Your Conscience and what would, what does that mean exactly?
0: Well, I didn't intend to write a book. And I certainly didn't intend to write a book about your conscience, but there I was in March of 2020 and I was in quarantine with my wife, Janice, and uh, I'm a a teacher and we had to uh, stop teaching in public. So we we no longer had people coming for classes. So it was a challenge for a teacher uh how am i to serve how am i how am i to serve my my students as well as uh whoever has an ear to hear and an eye to see and so i began to contemplate how best to use my energy my creative energy and i thought well since i'm in quarantine it might be a, a good idea to just write down some thoughts about how i could help people who seem to be struggling intently uh, with being isolated and having to deal with uh, the fear of the unknown and the fear of change uh, and and the political turmoil that swirls around uh, the entire medical turmoil and so i thought to myself i said you know the best thing that i could give them is to introduce their conscience to them because for me it was the major game changer in changing my life because I often tell people and I might have told you this before if I were living today with the same habits I had when I was 14 (laughs) one of two things would definitely be true either I would really be sick and infirmed, or I would have left the planet by now in this particular lifetime,
1: yeah, no, I think that's you're exactly right. um, you're a teacher at heart, and there was certainly need. Um, maybe just give a brief background about you, so those who haven't listened to the first interview would kind of understand where you're coming from.
0: Well, I guess my earliest memories of of my journey uh, began as a a little child and as a child uh, there seemed to be two aspects of my personality that guided me first of all even as a young child i was always very philosophically oriented it's just the way i seem to see the world however the second pillar or principle that seemed to direct my path in life. In addition to philosophy was practicality. So even philosophy, if even if it were interesting, if it did not have a practical application. uh, I didn't give it any more energy. So that led me both of them, the, the philosophy and the practicality led me uh, when I was in grade school and in high school to join the scouts. And the the motto for the scouts is be prepared. And we learned all sorts of uh, different skill sets to be prepared. So I once had a conversation with my scoutmaster. I said, we all know that the motto is be prepared. What should we be prepared for? And he looked at me, he said, well, how would I know? and that's true it life is a thrill a minute
1: Mm. Uh,
0: and who 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 among us would have ever imagined covid Mm. Uh, no
1: yeah exactly that that's the unfortunate
0: and we have to deal with all these things and all the ramifications medical and political
1: Yeah, but then uh, going further into your history, though, the American Meditation Institute, your expertise in yogi science, you know, yoga science, can you tell a little bit about that, um, so people understand that, because you're a practical philosopher, excellent, which kind of leads to this next thing.
0: (laughs) Right, so that practicality led to an exploration of different traditions, and as it turned out, I began reading the perennial philosophy And that led me to yoga science, which seemed to be the underpinning for every single spiritual and religious tradition on the planet. At the core of all of them was yoga, which simply means union. Union or balance between our outer actions in the world, meaning thoughts, words, and deeds, and the wisdom that resides at the core of our being. So if we can create a philosophy or a business plan in life to base our thoughts, words and actions in the external world. On our inner wisdom, our inner intuitive wisdom. The promise is we will be able to fulfill the purpose of our lives without pain, so I began to experiment with that. And the more I experimented and the more that I changed old habits, gosh, I felt better. I felt better physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And one day I got a, a a letter from my teacher in India and he didn't really ever beat around the bush. (laughs) And the letter, uh, consisted exclusively of three words. And the three words were start teaching now. (laughs) I didn't know what to teach. I didn't know where to teach, uh, but I knew that I practiced. And so I came to the conclusion that the only thing that I could really teach in earnest is what I practiced. And that's what I began doing. And that brought about students that came. And slowly, slowly, we put a name to uh, the teaching uh, that reflected the American roots from which we came. And my wife, Janice and I, in 1996, founded the American Meditation Institute.
1: And what do you offer at the American Meditation Institute?
0: Well, we all offer practical skills uh, for daily living teach like people in every relationship that you have, regardless of whether it's personal or it's professional or it's, uh, gastronomical or it's sexual or it's recreational, well, you know, we all know that, uh, we are very complex animals. So we have a lots of lots of different kinds of relationships and we need tools for each field of action. So that's what we teach. We teach tools for living.
1: Excellent. No, I think that's a that's a great segue also back into the book. So I guess we just start with the title, your conscience. So what would that mean exactly? I think people say, oh, my conscience was telling me this, or, you know, those type of things, or my conscience was telling me to do this or not to do this, but I went against it and whatever. Can you give a little bit more definitive weights, to sure. what that means, because I, I feel like people bat around a lot of terms that they don't quite understand. <laughs>
0: well, I'd be happy to. But it's always important to understand the conscience in relationship to the other three functions of the mind. You know, when we were kids, we, I think we all had the feeling that there were different voices going on upstairs <laughs> and, and it's, it turns out it's true. There are different voices. And those different voices, those different perspectives are from the four functions of the mind. And those would be the ego, the senses, the unconscious mind, and the conscience. So of all four of them, only one of them can make a decision. That's the conscience. The conscience is the only function of the mind that can decide what's to be done and what's not to be done, what's to be said and what's not to be said, what's to be thought and what's not to be thought, what's to be eaten and what's not to be eaten. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was a game changer because what it said to me that the conscience is not what we thought it was mm-hmm. you know that that little voice with the angel on one shoulder and and the devil on the other and you know, we all have these little concepts that we have these visual prompts but no that's not what it is the conscience is the only function of the mind that can make a decision that means every single choice everybody has ever made in their lives and every choice we will ever make has been and always will be made by the conscience but the conscience can make two different forms of choices depending on how much noise there is among the other three functions of the mind so, so if,
1: what is the what are those two sorry
0: the others starts with the ego the ego and that's another concept that we have that we don't really have a a total understanding of we think that uh, if somebody uh, has an ego that uh, they're puffed up uh, with self-importance that's not really what it is although it can express itself that way or it could seem that way but it seems to me that the ego is sort of hardwired to the reptilian brain because both of them are heavily invested in self-preservation and they suffer. They both suffer from the intense fear of annihilation. You know, I don't want to die. I don't want to lose the form. So because of that, the ego always insinuates itself as an advisor about what's to be done and what's not to be done. And let's remember, it cannot make a decision. So it's an advisor, it's a salesperson, it's a lobbyist. Mm -hmm. And it only has a limited perspective. It's not always wrong, but neither is it always right. So the ego insinuates itself as a color commentator in every situation to try to convince us what's to be done and what's not to be done. And toward that end, the ego divides everything up into pairs of opposites, like pleasant and unpleasant, good and bad. So if we come across something that triggers a memory of pleasure, oh, the ego says, this is good. Let's reprise it. And if it triggers a memory of some form of dis-ease or pain, oh, the ego says, this is very unpleasant. Let's get rid of this. So we know what the problem is here. That which appears as pleasant isn't always good for us. That which appears as unpleasant isn't always bad for us. So if we throw in 100% blindly with the ego, some things will work out, but a lot of things are gonna cause a lot of pain. And that's that's that human condition. That's that's what ultimately causes disease. So that's the ego. Now the senses have a similar take. The senses are very nearsighted. They can only see the front of everything. And so they're always looking for that which is pleasant, that which looks pleasant or smells pleasant or tastes pleasant or sounds pleasant or feels pleasant. Mm -hmm. So they can't see the back that generally means pain. So again, the senses have a limited perspective. They waste a tremendous amount of our creative energy chasing all these rainbows that are supposed to have a pot of gold at the end Mm -hmm. but that rarely if ever happens and even if there's a passing pleasure it goes very quickly it goes very quickly and and there's no fulfillment there so that's the senses then the unconscious mind this is the repository it's sort of like our hard drive right our mental hard drive Uh, of all of our software packages, everything that we deem essential to self-preservation is in the unconscious mind. These memories, some are pleasant, some are not pleasant, our imaginations for the future, you know, what if this should happen, or what if that should happen, what if neither happens? It's all on the hard drive, on the, on the, in the unconscious mind. So, when we have a choice to make, when we have a relationship, that requires an action that's going to bring about a consequence. The ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind clamor noisily to state their suggestions. Oh, let's do this. Oh, let's not do this. Oh, I, I we have to do this. This is going to make us happy. And when the ego senses and unconscious mind have never been trained, never been trained. And that's, that's an operative, uh, uh, concept. We've never learned to train our own mind just to memorize. But when the ego and the senses are so certain that this relationship is going to make me happy or is going to make me miserable, they create so much noise in the mind that the conscience, the decision-maker only has one choice. With all that noise, it can only rubber stamp the loudest voice it can hear. And that very often gets us into trouble and brings about pain.
1: Well, I have a question. So I understand the ego's you know, preservation goal or agenda and the senses are what they are. I feel like that's the easiest one to kind of tune into regularly like people are listening to this they're either liking my voice or saying i have an annoying voice or whatever the volume's too loud the volume's too you know that type of thing. Sure. The unconscious i understand i appreciate the comparing this to a computer right so a hard drive what would its voice be saying? in something like I guess what is its agenda what would that be
0: its agenda is to support existing habits and concepts mm-hmm.
1: so you're saying Maybe our habits are housed there right so our habits cool. that are running on on an unconscious level like we just reach for whatever when we're bored we do something so that's they're just saying we got to keep these habits going because they bring us pleasure. Da, 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 downtown.
0: Or avoid pain.
1: Or avoid pain. Okay, gotcha. Okay, there we go. So now you've got the those three. And then, then the conscience, if you're saying that it it's the decision maker, is it a parent? Is it a sibling? Is it a friend? Like, what is this relationship? If it's only going to be responding to the loudest voice, how do we go around training? How do we begin training if our conscience is only going to be responding to the loudest voice, so to speak, or where am I misinterpreting that part of it?
0: well it has another capacity okay it has another capacity but that would require you and me to become the parent Mm. of the ego the senses the unconscious mind and the conscience we have to impose ourselves as the parent to train them so what what part of us
1: is is acting, right? So if this is our mind, and these are these four quadrants of the mind. When you say we have to be the parents of them, is there another part that I'm what, what is that part?
0: That me is our higher self. It is pure consciousness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Pure consciousness.
1: So consciousness is different than
0: conscience. Absolutely consciousness is the background of all reality. It is just awareness, mm. just awareness. Okay. Like I am aware of you. Mm. I am aware of my sweater. Mm. Okay.
1: Mm. I gotcha. So then how do we, how do we insurance into right. parenthood? <laughs> okay.
0: Well, that's a great question. So if we can parent the ego senses and unconscious mind to present their suggestions in an orderly way so that they can be loved and received and then train them to sit quietly after they have made their presentation so that there's not all this jangle and noise going on in the mind they know that we're going to allow them to speak, and we will welcome their suggestion, ask them to quiet down. And in that quietude of the mind, the conscience has another capacity. It acts as a mirror that can reflect super conscious wisdom from the super conscious portion of the mind that's beyond the conscious portion. It's beyond the unconscious portion. It's the same portion of the mind where Paul McCartney hears beautiful melodies where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations. doesn't mean that we're going to become physicists or, or songwriters. What it does mean is if we can parent the ego senses and unconscious mind to make their presentation, give their, share their advice, quiet down the conscience, like a mirror can reflect wisdom from the intuitive library of wisdom, the super conscious portion of the mind at the core of our being that we refer to as our soul. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and the conscience can take that wisdom from the super conscious portion and bring it right into our conscious mind
1: to determine
0: the thought to think the word to speak and the action to take that will lead us for our highest good
1: well there's so much here i can dive into okay so i almost think of this as a portal Right, So we have this wisdom that's internal to each of us that's waiting to be reflected to the chattering box of our mind, the four quadrant. And that conscience is the conduit. Am am I in the right right ballpark? Okay. So I think of this as, and I'm very practical, just coming from a parent of three myself, I see a poor kindergarten teacher with a bunch of little running around kindergartners, the egos, the senses, the unconscious each doing their thing and the kindergarten teacher is like the squeaky wheel wins, this one wants this, you know, I'm gonna to listen to that one to calm things down. You know, you almost get to the point you're just like, I don't know what to do, it's just too much. But then there's the teaching, the wisdom, the 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 principal, whatever you want to be the the principles of the school to teach, right? So I guess if we can get the kids to calm down, <laughs> the chattering, the kindergarten teacher can say, here's what we're teaching you today, because this is no, we know it's going to make you into good first graders, which will lead you to good adults. And these are the the, the wisdom we're going to and partake of you. But if everything's running wild, how can we do that in an orderly fashion? So I guess the big question is, how do we get the chatterbox to shut down? Because I see that as like the mind, the monkey mind, right? Like people can't sleep at night, like, <laughs> I I call it monkey brain. Now I'm going to call it the chatterbox. So what where can we tone that down and say I need you to listen to me and present your in an orderly fashion. It's time to grow up and act like an adult. So how how do we do that? Cuz there's a well, lot of us running around with this problem.
0: That's right. <laughs> well, this parent has decided to share with the ego, senses and unconscious mind a series of experiments Mm. that are relatively easy that I know going in, I have a good chance of convincing them to experiment. And an experiment is not as onerous as a New Year's resolution. It's not forever. And uh, with a New Year's resolution, if I resolve something and I don't follow through, then I feel all this guilt and the poison uh, uh, that comes from it. But with an experiment, gee, experiments can be fun. Mm. And they're small, there's a beginning, a middle and an end. So let's say just for the sake of the experiment, we just uh, had a nice dinner. So the question becomes, are we going to brush our teeth so what do i do as the parent i call a family meeting i call the ego the senses and the unconscious mind and the conscience to sit around with me around the kitchen table to discuss are we going to brush our teeth are we not going to brush our teeth and i'm going to call as the loving parent on each of them to give their perspective ego what would you say to that should we brush our teeth and the ego might say very quickly i'm against it i vote no any change i equate with some form of death and the loss of control so i'm against it okay thank you very much now be quiet senses how about you i'm against it too uh I love the meal the dessert was fabulous the census say so I vote no for the brushing of the teeth but I vote yes for a second slice of apple pie okay well thank you very much thank you now sit down and the unconscious what do you say well I'm in the habit of supporting the other two so I vote no too (laughs) okay well thank you very much all of you now I want you to remain quiet because we're going to hear from the conscience who can reflect super conscious wisdom from the center of consciousness. Conscience, would you please give us your perspective? Certainly. So the conscience might say something. We all know that life, this life that we're living is not really a sprint. It's more like a marathon. And for a marathon of life, we need strong, healthy teeth. We need strong, healthy gums. We need a strong, healthy immune system. And if we can just take a short two-minute timeout to brush our teeth, that will serve us very well with strong teeth, strong gums, and a strong immune system. So then the parent says, Come on, everybody, let's go into the bathroom for an experiment that'll only take two minutes and it's not forever. We don't have to continue it. We'll just do it now, just for two minutes. And then we'll come back to the kitchen. We'll sit down at the same table and we'll all share what we experienced. So we all go into the uh, bathroom, we brush the teeth, and we come back to the kitchen table and their parent, me, I say, ego, how did you uh, experience that? Oh, the ego says, you know, it wasn't so bad. And I didn't die, I'm still here. (laughs) So it was okay, it was okay. Thank you, now just sit down. Senses, how about you? Senses might say, I was against it too but you know you know what won me over when the tongue started gliding over the front teeth there was no moss (laughs) I dislike that mossy feeling intently so it was actually quite pleasant how about you unconscious what did you experience it wasn't so bad it wasn't so bad so what have I done I have just provided the ego, the senses, and the unconscious mind the opportunity to change something that normally, habitually, they would never even consider. But I gave them something small, something easy to do, and it was quick. It was only two minutes. And it was a good experience. So, what's the bottom line here? They trust me more. They trust the conscience more. And as long as I can continue to spoon feed them easy experiments, that they will experience something pleasant, then change will not be equated with something onerous and painful and fear provoking. Mm -hmm. It could mean that. Change means what growth
1: mm-hmm. no definitely growth I
0: so that changes ahead. that changes the software of the mind
1: right so you're you're giving it update in your software basically. that's right we're
0: updating the software
1: so I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the question and I'm sure maybe bounce around some people's heads who are kind of new to this concept of consciousness and having these thought experiments so to speak because you know Einstein did thought experiments if I could have been a fly in his brain wow Um, you know just to sit and absorb that not only just what he was thinking but the process of the thinking because I feel like (laughs) he's probably doing something similar Um, at least in my feeble mind that's what I would imagine
0: Um, well you know they uh, you know animals operate under uh, uh, instinct Mm. but we're different, we're a complex animal.
1: Right, you're absolutely, we've got that cognitive as part of our prefrontal right. cortex. So so I, I almost see these, these experiments as, you know, when you're looking to do uh, work in, let's say healthcare or anything, there's always um, quality improvement. And they do these little thing, it's like a plan, do, study, act. So they, they're little experiments, you plan them, you do them, you study what happened, and then you act upon those results. So it's a similar type of thing.
0: Scientific, I, scientific.
1: It's very scientific. This is how my brain works.
0: Well, that's how my brain sense. works too. That's right.
1: <laughs> exactly. 100%. So take myself or someone else who's not uh, a, an expert in meditation or understanding these different levels of consciousness and these different parts of our mind, what does that look like? Because I, I, I understand you know, you're know, you doing small steps, that makes complete sense, uh, something pleasurable, you're rethinking it, but what does that look like in a person? Like, so if I am a normal, not normal, but a regular person off the street and you're trying to sell this concept of this is where you're gonna tap into your inner wisdom, what does that look like? Like I because I can't imagine someone saying that, okay, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna have a conversation like ego. So how do I know that I'm talking to my ego? You know, or what does that and there's their thought process going on here? Or am I talking to the senses? Am I just thinking what I'm feeling, or am I just being inner in introspective and asking myself these questions in the sense of in my thoughts when I can hear my thoughts when I'm thinking? Because I feel like that's where the conversations are occurring, right? I guess I'm the practical and what it actually looks like. I'm trying to wrap my brain around that it. i want gonna put my hands on it, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Okay, can you help me understand that?
0: Well, I'll try.
1: Okay. <laughs> I may be a lost cause, but I'm no, trying. No,
0: no, no, you're not a lost cause because, because you have the one quality that is necessary. And this is the point that I was going to make. This is not for everybody this is not for everybody what allows people to get it is the desire to go beyond the pain to go beyond the pain whatever the disease whatever the disease is there's a desire to go beyond it so i had a uh, a very close family relative Who had lower back pain. And I had lower back pain as a young man. Why? Because my lower back was the repository for all of my fear. And it caused contraction in the musculature that caused pain. It was not an operative condition because the condition was really in my mind. Mm -hmm. So I offered to teach this very close relative of mine some of what i i know and what helped me go beyond the pain and resolve the contraction in my back
1: mm-hmm.
0: so i asked him would you like me to offer these suggestions to you and he, and he said no because if i didn't have the pain in my back how would i know who i was this is so the truth this is a true statement it's
1: really? heavy. it's heavy he's defined himself as pain
0: that's right back. that's wow. right that's that's so sad. and people and people attach themselves to their pain this is me woe is me just feel sorry for me mm. but if you have a desire to take the initiative to welcome some form of change small though it may be and experience a pleasure something that reduces the decibel level of the pain Mm. that's going to bring you back and that's going to bring you back so the point is there has to be a desire desire is neither good nor bad it's just the fuel for action and we all have desires and people that don't necessarily have the desire to go against the pain are are very willing to take a pain pill because it'll shoot the messenger of pain so that they can fulfill other kinds of desires. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's more important to them. So it's a priority for them. Mm. For me, letting go of this dis-ease and pain in my life has been a priority. It's been- Way more
1: pleasurable than dealing with pain every day. It has been for
0: me. (laughs) It has well, that, been for me.
1: That's a common human experience, I'm pretty that's sure. Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. So let's say that I have someone looking at my line of work, um, and so I we have I'm I can't rec- I don't recall. I think it was before we launched plant based telehealth. Our it's a national telemedicine practice it's, um, that we launched uh, my business partner I, March 2020, <laughs> right when COVID hit. And so we are, we're almost two, we've grown to nine doctors. It's amazing. we have amazing patients. But of course I get patients with chronic disease. They are at this point where they want to release the disease, get away from, you know, traditional medications, although they may require some. Let's talk to the food because the food is such an integral part of that. Um, So let's say someone wants to change uh, an eating habit, but they're really struggling. They've made some good strides for, but they keep coming back to, let's say, chips and salsa or sweets or something, how would you help them? What would be the steps or what would you look at to help someone in that type of like a food addiction type of setting when there's multiple voices going off in the head from experience and things? So what would you tell us?
0: Well, if they have the desire to go beyond the pain, yes I would would encourage them to experiment with things that are easy Okay. so if the question is am I going to eat the donut am I not going to eat the donut change the question Mm -hmm. am I going to eat a half a donut am I going to sacrifice my desire for the whole donut and let go of half of the donut or maybe I'll just sacrifice A quarter of the donut just a quarter of the donut i'll eat without guilt. Three quarters of the donut i'll I'll relish each morsel. But one quarter 25% I will make as an offering. To my conscience. And just see what happens.
1: So I love that. I've used that phrase too. It's like ask better questions. That's right. And I think people don't know they can ask different questions, right? So they, it's kind of like one of my children. That's right. This child, he would ask the same question again, and again, hoping he'd get a different answer. But in your book, you, you go through it which I love, you talk about, you know, if you just keep doing the same thing, don't expect to get a different outcome. This is called foolishness. <laughs> um, but where can we begin to do the practice of asking a better question? Like, how can we train our brains to think about our minds or conscience or or whatever that self how do we begin that process? Because sometimes that in and of itself is overwhelming. Like, how do we even know where to begin? You know, what is, what if I can't do that? Like, what if the ego is so strong or the unconscious so strong because they like it so much that I can't even be around a donut? Or like, how can we begin to ask those questions and finding a place where we're feeling safe and feel like we will be successful at that small win? Like, how? Can you help me figure out, like, how do you teach people to ask better questions, I guess?
0: Well, here's <laughs> my experience. Okay. You ask better questions by becoming a better listener. Become a listener. Really listen with, with love and compassion to the ego and the predicament that the ego is in. Same for the senses. Same for the unconscious mind, listen to them. Listen to what they're saying and why they are saying it. And why is it that they're looking for this sweetness in life? You know why they're looking for sweetness in life. We need sweetness in life, but it's their desire is misdirected because the sugar is just a, you know, it's a high and then a low and uh, uh, it's depressing uh it's a depressant and so uh, that's not the that's not the kind of sweetness that we're really really looking for so if if i can just set aside my agenda of wanting them to do something that if i were them i would do (laughs) i could listen to them and my experience is just by being present to them listening to them observing how their mind, that portion of the mind is working, and what they're using to get what they want for something. They tell me what the next step is. They will tell me what the question is, or how to how to rephrase it so that they could hear it. What are they open to? So-
1: we're, we're tapping into a natural curiosity about ourselves, right? And so we need to make the conscious effort. It, there will be effort and work involved. That's, it's okay it to works. work. That's there right. is work. and But all like,
0: life is work. All life. Right. Yeah, we work but, hard at creating bad habits.
1: Oh, but it's so easy to make bad habits. I feel like the the environment, certainly, I'm not trying to blame the environment, but we haven't put ourselves in the best easiest place you know i'm always telling patients you have
0: these challenges i mean but that's the game right it is you have the culture and you have all these influences and okay but that's the game it's like uh you know it's like a a one of these tv game shows
1: yeah 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 definitely i guess you know i really like that though you said to sit back and listen because i feel like in my mind and when i'm working with patients The thing that comes up and up again is like they'll get they'll do really well using willpower, which is a finicky friend if it even exists. I feel like that's just a a term used for people's maybe their conscious saying we'll try to do the best we can or I don't know. I I'll love to see your experiment your thought on that. But what happens is they get so overwhelmed that then they fall back to listening to the loudest voice in the room or in the mind.
0: Or in Can, the culture,
1: or in the or exactly, or in the culture, so that practice, that mindful practice, is so vital. I had a interview with Dotsie Bosch, who's was just really fascinating to me because she was a. Um, if you're not familiar with her, she's an Olympic um, cyclist, where they they run they run they ride the bike around in that the track, mm-hmm. indoor cycling, excuse me. And before she won her silver medal and was one the oldest female to win medal in that uh, sport in the Olympics, she was a cocaine abuser and had an eating disorder. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I think it's phenomenal that you won your medal, but I'm more interested in how you overcame those really s- severe addictions. And she said what she did was kind of like you are mentioning, you're, you're asking, you're listening her, her, she told me, you know, I just found a, a therapist that would work with me. And I was like, okay, but what does that mean? She goes, she let me do what I want. I was like, no, I still don't understand what that means. She goes, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm like, good. Cause I'm apparently think a little slow to, to get it all. She said, what they did is I bought these little blue dots and my therapist made me put them on anything that triggered my unconscious habit of, you know, wanting or craving to vomit or, or over the refrigerator to go eat or go do whatever. And she said, but she made me stop and wait 30 seconds before, when I saw the blue dot, it was my trigger to act in this 30 seconds, just to stop, give space that you're putting some physical distance and a time or space or whatever in before I made the decision so it was like hers doing that it was like, and she said, then I had to start asking myself questions. Do I want to do this? How do I feel about it? And then before I knew it, I could make the decision. And then I made the decision whether I wanted to or not. In the beginning, she goes, I, of course, I just kept doing what I wanted. I did my 30 seconds. I'm like, I'm done. But over time, she said, it got to the point that that reward of that habit, that unconscious habit became less and less because I feel like what you're describing is that internal wisdom was being spread to the other parts of the mind, right? That other parts of her. And then she was in soaking in that wisdom. And the ego was saying, I don't want this. (laughs) The senses were saying, I don't like how it makes me feel. The unconscious saying it's not so rewarding. And the conscience is like, sweet, let's not do it. And I feel like that's kind of where we're seeing that. That's where I, in my mind, as far as a very concrete example of kind of what you're describing, does that sort of fit the model that you're describing or am i missing something
0: no i think that it does i think that it does but let me let me explain that the capacity to do exactly what you were talking about with the blue dots Mm. you don't need blue dots Mm. you see you don't need anything outside of yourself if people can learn to meditate for 60 seconds on the breath between the two nostrils or a mantra, depending on what they're, what's most comfortable, for 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. What happens is they experience one pointed attention. That one pointed attention on only one object to the exclusion of all of these distracting thoughts that the ego or the senses or the unconscious mind is generating. That's all part of meditation. People think that meditation means no thoughts. That's not what it is. The mind is addicted to thinking. Okay. It's not a problem. It's just a situation. So when we are focusing our attention on the breath for just 60 seconds and the mind wants to change the channel, You're not angry at yourself that you're a lousy meditator. You're not angry at the mind or the object of its attention. You simply honor and witness and then sacrifice. You sacrifice that attachment to the distraction. You offer it back to the origin from which it came. What is the origin from which that distraction came? Well, everything comes from the one. We call that G-O-D. Even the distraction is a manifestation of that one supreme intelligence. So in real time, as I'm focusing my attention for 60 seconds here, I know that the mind is gonna wanna change the channel. It's not a problem. So I honor it, I witness And I sacrifice the distraction and I lovingly and compassionately bring the mind back to the breath here at the bridge between the two nostrils. And what does that do for me, it creates one pointed attention the ability at will to focus my attention at just one object to the exclusion of others. The second skill that I gain is that it increases the space between stimulus and response Oh, an increase in the space between stimulus and response and what's in that space between (laughs) stimulus and response oh that's my freedom of action i can be free i don't have to be enslaved to that distracting thought oh so what am i going to do with that freedom oh i'll check with my conscience to see if that distracting thought is to be served further or to be sacrificed of course in meditation we know going in just to train the mind any distraction is automatically to be sacrificed just for the sake of training the mind so in this one minute meditation i learn to focus my attention at will it creates a space between stimulus and response that provides me the freedom to check with my conscience to receive wisdom concerning what's to be done and what's not to be done and if i have the strength to serve that wisdom i will simultaneously be building the muscles of my willpower to do what's to be done when it's to be done And not do what's not to be done when it's not to be done.
1: Mm. No, it is. It's a, it's a muscle that needs to be worked. You know, uh, I think a great example would be people like, how do those people, you know, work out every single day, even when they don't feel well, or they study for all those hours, they practice their music, all those hours, they do whatever, what other people would find unpleasant and it's because they've, one, they've practiced the muscle starting small in the beginning, like anyone to do anything. That's
0: right. That's right. Um,
1: and then it gets easier. And then there's the rewards or the consequences of those, like you had mentioned the thoughts, the actions and the consequences um, of all the, the chain of events that occur. But everything starts with this three pound mass between our ears.
0: <laughs> how right. do
1: we, how do we tame the beast, so to speak? But, uh, how do
0: oh, we love how do we love the beast
1: yes love the beast and knowing that it's it's not to be feared or hated right. it's it's, right. it's 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 a it's a, the wild beauty of us inside that we just have to embrace well, it's never
0: it's never been trained
1: right exactly and and, and quite <laughs> exactly. the
0: contrary quite the contrary yeah uh our culture has been working very hard to obliterate willpower mm. Here, yes. look at this. this is going to make you happy just do it if it feels good just do it just do it just do it mm. and so that bankrupts our willpower
1: yeah yeah they try to make everything well that's how they sell things right so we have to understand right. the agenda of anything that's, that's telling right. you that's right well if you do it you know buy it now uh you know not that i'm saying marketing's Inherently evil, but it's certainly there's agendas and you have to think about why am I wanting to click this button when I haven't thought this through.
0: (laughs) And and not that not that this not that stuff is is bad. We all need stuff. Right. We need an automobile, we need a home to live in. Right. You know, we need stuff. We need food. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So
0: you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but there's a lot of messages coming from the culture as well as from the internal conversation of the ego senses and unconscious mind Mm -hmm. that are just faulty. Okay, accept that which is given the good housekeeping seal of approval of the conscience and say no thank you to the rest. That's all. We, in the process, we are creating a new culture.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. We're in an internal culture, right? Because I feel like there's the external and the internal cultures uh, that we really can be anything we want like you said right. we're the creatures of our that destiny is so
0: profound
1: <clears throat>
0: we can we be just, anything that we want mm-hmm. we're the, the architects of our lives so Absolutely. what is it? We want? do we really want to be free or is that just lip service
1: no exactly I, I truly believe you create your own inner mind culture and if you have the capacity to do anything in a job or going outside and taking care of kids, you can create an internal thought process that's supportive of the things that you want to accomplish in life or live the life you have. So 100%, (laughs) no matter what your background, because I can tell you mine was not easy to overcome, but I just... I really chose well, nobody's is as
0: easy to overcome nobody's is no. easy that's oh, absolutely. the, work. That's the absolutely. work and that's why above all else we have to love ourselves and not take um, on too much too soon because that's a prescription for failure
1: you're exactly right you're exactly right because sometimes people will look at someone who climbed Mount Everest like wow I wish I could do that I could never climb Mount Everest well they didn't start climbing Mount Everest <laughs> <For> <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> they first started climbing just the hill outside you know that's right um, but, uh, it's like, I have a patient who, you know, I, we were talking about getting her movements and she was working on her lifestyle interventions to help her feel better. I was like, can you just walk to the end of the driveway for me? And she's like, are you serious? I was like, yes. I said, and we need to plan it when you'll be in your driveway. When will you do this? She was okay, fine. When I come home from work, I'll walk to the end of the driveway. Will you leave me alone? I'm like, sure. And I said, do you pinky promise? <laughs> pinky <laughs> promise. And before you know it, She's not only walking within the driveway within you know six months, she's walking two, three miles, lost 60 pounds and reversed her diabetes. So that's the power of like you're describing her having, I might've been the prompt for her to have, to start having these conversations, but she started having the internal conversations to keep, keep going.
0: Because right? there was so, a desire in her mind yeah. force for a different way of being. Exactly. She it. and it. That, exactly. that's, that's the power.
1: And not only that, I feel like those of us who've had some success should impart that wisdom to help encourage others to know that they can tap into it. Because that's why there's that ripple effect that occurs. People are saying, wow, look at what they did. They investigate. If you hear something, it's my crazy dog over here rubbing herself on the back. Um, <laughs> her reptilian brain telling her needs to scratch. Um, but you know, that I feel like, like you said, you know, you your teacher said, teach. And you're like, hmm, (laughs) what does that mean? And you taught. And so then you took the advantage of uh, COVID and created a a basically a, a guidebook to help others tap into their inner wisdom, which I think is phenomenal.
0: That's very nice. Thank you.
1: Yes, thank you. Well, um, I know I promised to keep you an hour. Is there any final words of wisdom that you'd like to impart to our audience?
0: I would thank you for that opportunity. Yes. I would like to say to everybody who's listening, not to believe a word I have said. That's right. Don't believe anything that I have said, but if there's anything that catches your imagination and, and is of interest to you, I would suggest that you put on your doubting thomas hat as a good scientist and start experimenting yourself so you will know and own the truth for yourself you don't have to be dependent on leonard you don't have to be dependent on anybody else outside of you do the experiment yourself and through personal experience you will know the truth and you will know that you know and nobody can ever take that away and that will color every single relationship that you have.
1: Fabulous advice! And where can we get your book?
0: Any fine uh, bookseller, uh, any, any anywhere that you know books are books sold. Are Amazon. And, Amazon. Books. Yeah, we're, you know, local bookstore. If they don't have it, they can order it. Uh, and I'd like to just mention that uh, we have a website, American Meditation dot o-r-g that's the institute where i do teaching and we have a free guided meditation every sunday morning from 9 30 to 11 that i that i do and we have a very interesting lively rewarding philosophical conversation just like you and i have just had laurie
1: mm-hmm. Well, and thank you. you. Get, and then
0: you get a free, uh, a free recording of it. So, uh,
1: awesome.
0: That notice is right on the homepage of AmericanMeditation.org.
1: Okay, AmericanMeditation.org, Leonard Perlmutter and your content. So, check it out, guys. Well worth the read, and definitely thought provoking in multiple ways. <laughs> so, Thanks. thank you so much for your time and sharing everything. Um, with your experience and willingness to teach uh, those of us who are trying to follow in your footsteps or figure out our own footsteps along the way. But it's nice to have a guide.
0: Thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for watching and I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go though, please hit the subscribe button and the alert button so you will be notified whenever we upload any new videos. On Monday, we upload the Healthy Human Revolution podcast. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find it on all the major platforms, such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. Now, if you're looking for more resources on how to start a plant-based diet, sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, anything regarding wellness, we've got you covered. Check out HealthyHumanRevolution.com. And again, thanks for watching.